Welcome to the Bible Study Tutor. My name is Jessica Hutton and I'm your Bible Study Tutor for today. Today is the first day we will study the Gospel of John together, beginning with John 1 verses 1 through 5. To get a macro level overview of the Gospel of John, watch the two introduction videos called Introduction to the Gospel According to John Part 1 Context and Gospel of Jesus Christ According to John Part 2 Literary Features and Theological Themes. I encourage you to watch those videos later today because I go into greater detail about the purpose of John's book, but to remind you, the English Standard Version of John 20 verses 30 and 31 read as follows. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's purpose was twofold. The first was evangelistic as he exhorts people to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The second was edification as he urges believers to continue believing in Christ and persevere in the faith. Craig Keener says this, Throughout the gospel, many people become initial believers, but their initial faith proves insufficient without perseverance. John's goal is not simply initial faith, but persevering faith, discipleship. John's purpose is to address believers at a lesser stage of discipleship and to invite them to persevere as true disciples. John is calling his audience to full confession of resurrection faith. Jesus is God in the flesh and therefore his claims cannot be compromised for synagogue or for Caesar. John will settle for no faith less secure than this. The purpose is evident throughout the gospel as John strategically highlights significant aspects of Jesus' person and ministry, which implicates us to believe. Bruce Milner says it this way, in the light of his presentation of Jesus through the gospel, the signs of his life and ministry, his teaching and claims, his death and resurrection, where do we stand? John invites us to respond by believing, that is by committing ourselves personally to Jesus Christ as our Lord and God, trusting his death as that of God's sacrificial lamb to atone for our sins and following him in the way of discipleship as our way, truth, and life. The result, John assures us in closing, will be life in his name, the eternal life of God's kingdom, which is the end, which in the end is Jesus Christ himself. And that purpose, ladies and gentlemen, will frame our exegetical and hermeneutical study of this book. Now to begin, I will summarize John chapter 1 so that you understand the context of the passage that we're going to study today. The opening chapter of the Gospel of John is profound and captivating introduction to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It carefully unveils his divine nature, his role in creation, and his mission on earth with eloquence and depth. The primary purpose of the chapter is to affirm that Jesus Christ is the eternal word of God who has always existed and is the agent through whom all things were made. The word became human to bring light and life to a fallen world. The chapter introduces the doctrine of the incarnation by emphasizing that the eternal word of God took on human form as Jesus Christ, making him fully God and fully man. This divine mystery lies at the heart of Christian belief and underscores the profound nature of Jesus' mission on earth. Anyone who believes in this God who became flesh could become a child of God. John has woven the theme of belief and disbelief throughout the chapter. Some, like John the Baptist, recognize Jesus as the Messiah and embrace him with faith. Others, like the Pharisees, exhibit skepticism and doubt. 
This theme sets the stage for the ongoing tension between faith and unbelief that permeates the Gospel of John. The introduction also introduces key figures such as John the Baptist, whom God appointed to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry and to point others to the true light entering the world, and Jesus' first disciples, who encounters, whose encounters with Jesus reveal the transformative power of believing in him. He also introduces the priests, Levites, and Pharisees. And through the dramatic tension of the narrative, John will demonstrate how their blatant refusal to believe in Jesus informs their staunch commitment to oppose him, even to the point of insisting he dies. The chapter concludes by reinforcing Jesus' divine identity as the Son of God, the King of Israel, and the bridge between heaven and earth. It lays a solid foundation for the profound theological and spiritual journey unique to the Gospel of John as it reveals the life and significance of Jesus Christ and explores the implications of realizing who he is. In summary, John chapter 1 masterfully presents Jesus Christ as the eternal Word of God, the Creator and the incarnate Son of God who brings salvation to the world. With this compelling themes of belief, unbelief, and deity of Jesus, the first chapter sets the stage for a riveting exploration of his life, teachings, miracles, and sacrificial mission for the redemption of humanity. Now with that, let's begin our study of John 1, verses 1-5, through 5, which I've titled, The Eternal Word. Let's read the Bible first. The English Standard Version of John 1, verses 1-5 through 5 reads, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's a summary of that reading. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 is a profound prologue to the Gospel of John, introducing Jesus as the eternal Word and the incarnate God. In the beginning, the Word existed, coexisting with God and sharing His divine nature. All things were created through the Word, and His life brought light to humanity. The darkness could not overcome the light, foreshadowing Jesus' victory over sin and darkness. John's eloquent introduction emphasizes Jesus' deity, his role in creation, and his mission as the light of the world, sent to illuminate the path of salvation for all to believe. The passage lays the foundation for the gospel's central theme, which is the revelation of God's glory and truth as demonstrated through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I want it to be clear, obviously that passage did not mention Jesus. In fact, we will find out tomorrow in our study of verses 6 through 18 that the name Jesus doesn't even come up until verse 17 but I really couldn't figure out another way to summarize that piece I'll have to work on that but it gives us some insight into what lies ahead because the focus of this study I want you and I to be able to see Jesus clearly and know who it is that we serve so that we can love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, be faithful to him, understand what we believe about him, and persevere in the faith. So keep that in mind, even though I mentioned Jesus Christ, who has not yet been named in the passage that we're focusing on today, he will come up and that's just the best way I can summarize it. So regarding the contextual understanding, 
the first thing that you need to do when you begin a, a passage after you've read it or listened to it multiple times and you've written a summary of it such as the one that I've given you is wrestle with the book or passage to discover its context. Now wrestle is an acronym that I developed that stands for writer, religion, events, society, theology, language, and exegesis. I developed the Wrestle Framework to help Bible students lay a solid foundation for sound exegesis and hermeneutics by discovering the historical, cultural, literary, and theological context of the book of passage that we're studying. Now to do that, we must understand W, the writer's perspective and motivation, R, the religious and political climate, E, the significance of events that are mentioned in the text, S, social factors that inform the context. T, what theological themes are implied or described in the reading. L, the significance of the author's language choice and how it's translated to enhance our understanding. And E, how to leverage authorial intent to write accurate exegetical statements about the passage and in turn interpret it accurately. Now, since this is our first week of Bible study, I will walk you through the Wrestle Framework However, after this week, I'm going to challenge you to complete the Wrestle Framework activity independently. So let's begin with writer's perspective and motivation. I'm just going to run through these because anything else would be me doing the observation and interpretation for you. And I don't want to do that. I just want you to sort of hear the context of the passage that we're reading today. So regarding the writer's perspective and motivation. As we explore the prologue, we must consider John's perspective and motivation for writing. John witnessed the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and his gospel reflects a deep understanding of Jesus' identity as the Word incarnate. John was also an apostle, and he was part of Jesus' inner circle. So he was privy to many things, many experiences of Jesus that a lot of the other disciples were not. And he has a unique perspective. Not to mention, when you go look at the introductory videos, you'll find that John lived much longer than his counterparts. And so, given the age, the, the likelihood of date that he wrote this text, he's matured not only spiritually, but chronologically. And so, he's had a lot of experience and he's lived a long life and his perspective has matured and shifted. So that becomes evident. And it's important to consider those things as you read the text. Religious and political climate, which is the R part of the Wrestle Framework. So at the time of writing, Christianity was spreading and John addressed some theological debates while also emphasizing Jesus' unique identity. With his profound statements about the word becoming flesh, the prologue would have been a particularly relevant to a diverse audience with varying religious and philosophical backgrounds. I'll talk a little bit more about that when we get into the inductive part of our study today. Now, E, events. John acknowledged the beginning where the word dwelled with God. From the beginning, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So the event that we're talking about is the creation that took place through the word, the creation that was possible because of the word. That is relevant to this particular passage today. S, social factors. I would say that the Wrestle Framework does not apply to today's reading as it pertains to social factors. So we'll move on to T, which is theological themes. 
The prologue introduces themes like the word as the agent of creation and the incarnation of God in human form. It lays the groundwork for profound theological reflections on Jesus' divine nature and his role in reconciling humanity to God. I have to reiterate this passage, we didn't talk about Jesus yet. He has not been named, but this is part of the prologue. And so there will probably be some repetition tomorrow as we discuss the rest of the prologue. And um, I just want you to keep that in mind. Now, language and translations. John uses the Greek word logos in the passage, which has weighty implications that we will explore in our study today. Logos is the Greek word for word and finally we have exegesis and interpretation john introduces the concepts of the word logos and emphasizes the eternal nature and deity of jesus christ who was not yet named in the text so by engaging in this exegetical analysis of john 1 1 through 5 we gain a deeper understanding of the passage historical cultural literary and theological context further Proper exegesis of the reading will enable us to discern and appreciate the profound truths that John intended to convey about Jesus Christ and his glory as revealed through his sacrifice. Now with that, let's read the passage again and then we will begin the inductive Bible study process starting with observation. During this phase, we will read the passage carefully and note key observations. To do that, we must read the passage closely and highlight or underline anything that stands out to you. Use different color highlighters or symbols so they can function as a key to guide your observation process. For example, if you use yellow to highlight the word beginning, don't use that color for anything else. Instead, highlight the word yellow in the Bible. Then on a piece of paper, write the word beginning, highlight it in yellow, and next to it, write your questions and insights about that particular word. And then you're going to repeat that process for marking your Bibles using different colors or symbols to signify different observations that you're making. Now here's the passage, John 1, 1 through 5 again. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I'm going to give you 10 minutes to reflect on the reading and make your observations. So you're going to immerse yourself in John 1, 1 through 5. Don't read any further. And you're going to jot down your observations and any question that arises. And then what you're going to do next is write a summary of your observations. So basically that would be any notes about what stood out to you in the text. You're not going to be interpreting anything yet. You're just going to be writing. Frankly, you're just going to write what you see. So look within the passage first and then review cross-references and uh, use some external resources so that you can gain high-level insights about your observations and questions. You're not interpreting anything, so you're going to be identifying those things that stand out to you and then look within the scripture 
first and then cross references if you need to to find out the significance of those things you're just looking for basic high level things about your observation now here's a hint for key people you want to make sure that you pay attention to significant names and descriptions that are mentioned by the author for key places notice how towns and their inhabitants are described if applicable key events those include any activity that shed light on the historical cultural context such as legal or religious events dialogue social interactions any activity that the author highlights and then lastly you're going to highlight key words words that may be hard for you to understand words that are repeated words that are have a unique usage you're going to be looking for unique words that stand out to you for example consider the significance of the words word god life and light and then reflect on how these concepts are interrelated and what they reveal about the identity of jesus who has not yet been named i know he ain't been named yet so if you're watching the Bible study on YouTube, you're going to see a 10 minute timer and I will show you a screen with some observations to look out for. And if you're listening to the Bible study tutor on the podcast, you are encouraged to pause the episode and set your timer for 10 minutes to do the activity when you're finally able to sit down and focus. And your 10 minutes starts now.
So here are some of the observations that I made. Regarding key people, the word is used as a proper noun with a definite article which indicates a person. So saying that the word was with God indicates distinct persons that the author identifies as God and word. So the distinct persons are God and word. God and word are eternal as evidenced by their coexistence in the beginning. Therefore, if God was in the beginning and the word was in the beginning with God, then they are one distinct, two eternal, and three God. The other thing that I noticed too regarding key people was John reveals that everything was made through the word, which to me sounds like the word is the agent of creation and ultimately the source of life and light. What I observed about key places was that no places were identified in the text. And then key events, John highlights the beginning, emphasizing eternity to explain how God and the word coexist in eternity. He does that with an obvious appeal to Genesis 1-1, where it was noted that God existed from the beginning and is the creator of all things. Also, along those lines, John reveals that everything was made through the word. He is the agent of creation and the source of light and life. As far as keywords go, four keywords stood out to me. Word, beginning, through, made, and God. I guess that's five. <laughs> you can use the interlinear and dictionary tools on Blue Letter Bible, Step Bible, and Bible Hub to get definitions and usage for each of those words. But today, I really want to focus on the key word, word. Now, I mentioned earlier that the Greek word used for word in this passage is logos. Now, according to the Blue Letter Bible, the biblical usage of the term in John denotes the essential word of God, Jesus Christ, the personal wisdom and power in union with God, his minister in creation and government of the universe, the cause of all the world's life, both physical and ethical, which for the procurement of man's salvation put on human nature in the person of Jesus the Messiah, the second person in the Godhead, and shone forth conspicuously from his words and deeds. And one of the strongest definitions for Lagos is, especially with the article in John, the divine expression, i.e. Christ. It is represents the account, cause, or communication. Now keep that stuff in mind that I just talked to you about for our interpretation phase of the study. So now that we've observed the passage, let's move on to the interpretation phase. During this phase, we will seek to uncover the deeper meanings and theological implications of today's reading. Here's a hint. You want to ask yourself the following questions. What did the author intend to communicate in this passage? How would the audience have received and interpreted this message? What theological themes are addressed in the reading? And what does the passage reveal about the nature of God? So spend the next 10 minutes reflecting on the significance of your observations. Write a summary of your interpretation. Then use internal resources such the scripture itself and later external resources 
to conduct in-depth research about your observations. So your goal is to gain in-depth insights about your observations and questions so that you can correctly interpret the text. However, it would be best if you wrote your interpretations first so you can then compare it to reliable, scholarly, and biblically slash theologically sound resources. So if you're watching the Bible Study Tutor on YouTube, you're going to see a 10-minute timer. And then on the screen, I will also show you some Bible study research tools that can help you with your interpretation process. But remember, focus on what you can find inside the actual scripture first before you go to those external resources. And podcast listeners, as I mentioned before, I encourage you when you're able to take a break, to pause your episode, set a timer for 10 minutes, and then do the interpretation activity when you can.
I realized that in the beginning when I was just giving you an overview of the chapter that I kind of gave you some of my interpretation of our reading, but I do still want to share my interpretation of today's reading. So regarding authorial intent, I would say John's primary purpose in this prologue is to, the, is to introduce the divine nature and significance of Jesus Christ. He aims to establish Jesus as the eternal word, intimately connected with the Father, and the central figure in creation and salvation. John wants his readers to recognize Jesus' unique role as the divine Son of God and the source of life and light for all humanity. Now regarding audience reception, John's Gospel was written when Christianity was spreading and the early Christian community was wrestling with theological debates surrounding the nature of Jesus Christ. John's prologue addresses these concerns by presenting Jesus as the eternal word, emphasizing his deity and his role in creation. As such, they likely would have understood that John declared, no holds barred, that Jesus was indeed God and therefore the Messiah, that is the Christ. And regarding theological themes and the nature of God, this is that continuation of our discussion about the Lagos. So in Greek philosophy, Lagos represented the rational principle that governs the universe. And in Jewish thought, it carried the idea of God's creative and revelatory word. John adopts this term to convey the profound concept of Jesus Christ as a divine, creative, and communicative agent of God. Now, scholars have pondered many interpretations of the term word, including its association with the Stoic concept of the rational principle, the Gnostic movement, and Philo's distinction between the ideal and real world. However, the primary background for the term word is found in the Old Testament, where it signifies God's powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. Further, according to D.A. Carson, the Gospel of John employs the term word, that is logos, to describe the pre-existent divine self-expression that existed before the creation of the world. The word is both with God and is God. It is a person distinct from God, yet intimately related to him. The word, as identified in the prologue, is understood to be Jesus Christ, who is God's ultimate self-disclosure. And then Gerald Borchert said it this way. Verse 1 of the prologue then is a foundational confession. One, that the Logos has an origin that supersedes the created order of time and space. Two, that this Logos has an identity distinct from the previously understood designations for God. And three, that the Logos must also be understood as part of the unity of God. Community and unity are in Christian theology two compatible sides of the eternal God. Here then are the beginnings of Christian reflection on the mind-stretching concept that became known as the doctrine of the Trinity. To make certain the reader does not miss the significance of what has just been said, the evangelist underlined in verse 2 his basic thesis. The verse opens with the typical Johannin or Johannin, I don't know, use of this one, hautos, in the gospel that indicates a specific 
designation and it pinpoints the focus of the affirmations of verse 1, namely that from the very beginning, the Logos was directly related to God. This affirmation becomes in the fourth gospel, the crucial issues in the confrontation with the Jews. That is, for example, he made himself equal with God. If it wasn't clear, I was quoting someone on that one. But anyway, essentially the idea was that my interpretation of the text, which seemed to agree with the, the scholars, the commentators, was that in no uncertain terms, John was declaring in five powerful verses that the word is God. And we will later find out that the word is Jesus. But um, I think that if we were to just drop the mic on the first five verses, we will, it would be clear. That's what this book is about. And that's the theme that will unfold throughout. So we are implicated to either believe that or not. And so those that's essentially my interpretation of that. Now it's time to move to the application phase. So now that we've gained deeper insights through observation and interpretation, it's time to apply the truths that we've learned in John 1 verses 1 through 5 to our lives. I want you to take this 10 minutes to think about what parallels, principles, or precepts you can draw from the reading that we've done today. You can, if you want to, think about the interpretation of the word being Jesus, although we haven't gotten to that yet, and explore the implications of Jesus being the word, therefore being God. Or you can just simply focus solely on what's in front of you today about what the who the word is without him being named and I want you to maybe focus on the implications of that but the main thing you want to look out for is precepts parallels and principles your 10 minutes starts now and then in the meantime I'm going to show you a timer but I also want you to look at the three P's of life application so you can better understand ways that you can draw that information if you can find it from the text. So go ahead and get started on that 10 minutes and then I'll be back to share my three P's of life application and how this implicates me.
welcome back. So here's some elements for practical life application that I got from the text. First, I would say that there were no apparent parallels or precepts that I could draw from today's reading. However, I was reminded of an episode of with the Perry's where Preston and Jackie Hill Perry talked about if Jesus is God. Jackie posed a powerful question to her husband Perry saying, why does it matter that Jesus is God? And basically Preston answered as follows. If we deny or don't grasp the truth, then we run the risk of worshiping the wrong God. Jesus as God lets us know that Jesus is authoritative. He is the ultimate authority. And if we know that he is the authoritative figure, then his word is the final authority. And then he went on to say that God didn't only send someone perfect. He sent someone who could remain perfect and who has always been in perfect relationship with him, with the Father, and would be for all eternity. You cannot understand the fullness of God's grace if you don't understand that God himself came to die for you. Failure to grasp the significance of God's grace means you also fail to understand the significance of your sin, how offensive your sin was to a holy and righteous God, and how no one else could do it, that is, take our sins away. It was the righteousness of God we needed, Perry says. The Father didn't use a mere man to make us righteous. God himself came to make us righteous, to live a life that we couldn't live, and to die a death that we deserved so that he could exchange our sin for his righteousness. Now, this was, to me, a powerful episode. I typically enjoy watching with the Perrys. They are phenomenal apologists and Bible teachers, so it's always entertaining. But this one, I think, was particularly profound, and it was the perfect timing because I knew I was about to begin a Bible study on John. So I encourage you to go watch that full episode if you can, and I've linked it in the description. Now, on that note, the principle that stands out to me after completing this study is that it is imperative to believe that God is who he says he is. The scripture is inspired by God and in an inspirational flow, John the Evangelist disclosed that the word is God, the eternal author of all creation. Although the reading we covered today does not yet identify Jesus as the word, the declaration still sets the tone for what we're about to read later in the chapter and of course in the rest of the gospel. Therefore, we are implicated to decide whether we believe or not, which is the whole point of this book. Tomorrow, we are going to continue our exploration of John's prologue by looking at verses 6 through 18, which I've called the testimony of John the Baptist. These verses will provide further insights into Jesus' ministry and the significance of John the Baptist's witness. So I encourage you to read or listen to John 1 verse 6 through 18 when you have time today or later this evening because I do believe that doing so will enrich your Bible study experience as we continue to uncover the treasures that are found in the Gospel of John. Meanwhile, thank you so much for joining me today on 
this episode of the Bible Study Tutor. I am beyond excited to go on this incredible journey through the Gospel of John with you. So please share this episode with your friends, family, and associates so that they can also go on this journey with us. Your participation and engagement are what makes this study so enriching. Meanwhile, as you go about your day, I encourage you to continue meditating on the truths we have explored today and seek God's guidance in applying these life-changing principles, especially as it pertains to believing in who God is and persevering in the faith. So take care and God bless.